Welcome back to the world's most famous arena. Fans make their return to the Garden Tuesday night for the first time in nearly a year as the Knicks take on the Warriors. Man, do we need that. We'll talk about the Knicks going for a 500 record, Julius Randle potentially being an all-star, and take a trip down memory lane to Carmelo Anthony's orange and blue debut 10 years ago today. That was really 10 years ago? Jeez, time flies. Well, also, so thrilled to be joined by the Knicks rookie sensation in the backcourt. That's right, number five, Emmanuel quickly joins Big Apple Buckets. All that plus an Oakley edition of Inside the Doghouse here on episode 34 of Big Apple Buckets from the New York Post. Welcome back to Big Apple Buckets, our New York Knicks podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Sal Licata, alongside my co-host, former Knicks and NBA big man, Jerome the Junkyard Dog Williams. Subscribe to Big Apple Buckets wherever you get your podcast, but please rate us. And listen, I mean, it doesn't take that much. Just go on there, rate us, give us a five-star review, and write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate the continued support. Knicks rookie stud guard Emmanuel Quickly is going to join us. Uh, me and producer Jake had that interview. We'll do that a little bit later in the show as he was tr- uh, tremendous. But we begin, JYD, with this Knicks team ooh, that is, look, they've played well so far, but they've done it in front of no fans. They return to the Garden tonight. It's been a little weird stretch because they had the game Saturday postponed with the Spurs. But they're back in action tonight, Tuesday night, against the Golden State Warriors. And fans will be allowed at the world's most famous arena. Finally, I know it's a limited capacity, only 2,000 people, but that should be huge for this young Knicks team, JYD. Well, I mean, I think it's huge for a number of reasons. Number one, in their last game, let's just take this as, you know, if they were playing in front of fans. They only had 13 turnovers, but they had 18 points off of those turnovers. Led the team and obviously uh, went on to victory against the Minnesota Timberwolves. This is a very intrinsic stat because – you know, the Garden is known for energy. And with the energy of the fans, games like this where you're leading in obviously not having as many turnovers as the other team, but also in points off of those turnovers, that's huge at the Garden because that energy is is deafening and it also plays a hand in the opponent. It starts to get underneath of their, their psyche and they can't think as clearly if you know what I'm talking about, Sal. Well, the opponent aspect I want to get into in a second, especially with the Warriors being in town, I think that's a big deal. But how about the impact, JYD? Again, I know it's 2,000 people, so I've never played in front of anybody. I mean, you know, my mom and dad clapping for me at the Little League game. Hey, Sal, that's nice. You've been in these full arenas before. I know it's going to be a little different, but still just having the younger players, somebody like Quickly or Toppin, or even just this young team in general who's played so hard but playing in in front of empty seats now to be able to do that in front of you know even a limited capacity doesn't that I mean it's got to take them all up I would think another level or it could put some pressure on them what do you feel as a young player playing for the first time in front of a crowd at Madison Square Garden I look at it like this first and foremost it, it will matter 2,000 people regardless. I remember back in 1999 when we had the lockout years, right? And the lockout turned off a lot of fans, you know, for the game of basketball. So when we first started back, we didn't have the same number of fans. It was very dismal in the the building because we'd come in the gym and it'd only be like 6,000 fans. 
But the players, from the players' perspective, we were saying, look, we're happy that these fans showed up and we're still going to give it our all. So they still made a difference. It was still loud with only 6,000 fans. So 2,000, what have you, it's still going to be taking you back to either high school where you have that many fans uh, at a huge high school game or one of your smaller you know, college games where, you know, you don't play against the top team. You're playing against a, a mediocre team if you're at a school like myself with Georgetown and you don't have as many fans there. So I don't think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be impactful just from the mere fact that there hasn't been any fans his whole, you know, some of these rookies, their whole career. And now they get to see someone and whether he's cheering, they're cheering for you or they're cheering for somebody else who they've known in the league for a long time. Uh, it won't matter. And it's a little different, too, because it's not Houston, Orlando, and no disrespect to any other cities, but this is New York. This is the Mecca. This is the world's most famous arena. And then on top of it, you're playing the Warriors and Steph Curry. Now, you mentioned that the opponent's coming in. You've played for both the Knicks, and you've been an opponent playing at Madison Square Garden. I think they have to be pumped up thinking, hey, we're finally playing in front of some fans, New York City. We know the spotlight's going to be on. Boy, it almost makes you a little nervous about Steph Curry and the Warriors playing that first game with fans back at the Garden. That obviously makes me nervous because I played with his dad, Dell Curry. And guess what? I remember Dell used to get stretched out his hamstrings back in the day when he was playing this later on in his career. But he'd get an extra rub down for New York. <laughs> okay. He come out hot. I mean, the first thing is leaving his fingers like two, three threes are, are nothing but net. Don't even hit the rim. So, yes, that does make me a little nervous knowing the pedigree that Steph Curry has in those jeans that he can go out there and get hot at any moment. And, yes, the fans could impact that by making him want to come out and play. Warriors 16 and 15, currently the eighth seed in the Western Conference. Remember, the Knicks beat them earlier in the year by 15 in January. That was obviously in Golden State for that game. So we'll see what happens with them coming back. But, I mean, it's got to be exciting for everybody involved. I can't wait to actually watch a game with some fans in attendance. You know, the other storyline, JYD, J uh, Julius Randle, we'll find out. Maybe Maybe when you're listening to this podcast, you already know, but we don't know as of yet when we're taping this early Tuesday afternoon that Julius Randle hopefully going to be selected to an all-star game here. I mean, he deserves a spot. It's funny because you look around and you can talk about the starters who are already named or people could say, well, this guy's been great and this is who Randle is going to be competing with for a spot. We watch him night in, night out. Hard to imagine much better play than what the Knicks have gotten from Julius Randle. I know there are better players around the league and guys are having terrific seasons. Hard to justify, in my mind, watching this guy night in, night out. If he's not an all-star, who is an all-star? Hey, I mean, he put up 25 and 14 against Carl Anthony Towns the other night. And both of them going to Kentucky is, you know, obviously a, a story within itself. But truly, for sure, he is an all-star, Sal. You said it best. I mean, the, the kid's been throwing up double-doubles all year. He's a double-double dog, not to mention he's even flirted with a few triple-doubles. He's been an all-around player, both offensively and defensively. And I think we can thank Tom Tibbs and his staff. And particularly, um, I'm going to throw out an assistant for, for, for some of this Julius Randle turnaround. Officer Payne, yes. The assistant coach from Kentucky that came in on the staff this year, Payne, is definitely a reason why Julius Randle. They had a relationship when they, he coached at Kentucky under Calipari. And I'm thinking that that's paying dividends right 
now. Did you know, JYD, again, I got to give you credit because when we first started our first episode together here on Big Apple Buckets, you said it. What if Randall becomes a different player? He could become a different player. And I really didn't, not that I didn't take what you were saying seriously, of course, but I just didn't understand that that can happen, especially the way that it did. I know guys get better and they evolve, but he's completely changed his game. So you're crediting Payne and the coaching staff, and, and obviously Randall himself deserves a ton of credit. He's been a man possessed, JYD. Is that coaching? Is that just something within, to your point, saying maybe he sees the writing on the wall? Hey, instead of me being a piece where I could be traded eventually, I want to be here. I like being a New York Nick. I want to change this franchise around. So that, that also comes from within Julius Randle. What made you early on think that that was even a possibility? You know, one thing about this league, it's not for long. And not for long really has to do with guys making a clear decision of what role they're going to play. If you're going to be a consistent, whatever your role is, type of player in this league, whether choosing to be a scorer or franchise player, a consistent role player, that has to be something that's night in and night out that a coach can depend on. The problem is that most coaches couldn't depend on, you know, Julius early in his career was had to do a lot with shot selection, shot selection and being a force on the defensive end. And if you can't defend on those, you can't depend on those things. Um, it's hard for them to give that person the ball. In this situation, he was given the ball the year before and this year he's coming back. And since there wasn't any huge free agent signings, I'm saying to myself, okay, they gave you the ball one year. This year is going to be your last year that if they give you the ball, it's your last year to prove yourself. So if I'm in the offseason, I'm saying to myself, I got to get to work. If I want to be the player that I hope to be, an all-star, a franchise-type contender, I got to put in the work. And I think that that's what prompted me to say what I said. That's how That would have been my mindset if I was Julius Randle. I got to come back. I got to, I got to do better. I got to be better. I got to, I got to get all these negative implications from around my name and then put my name in another category. And that's what he's done. He's been consistent. He's been a hard worker. He's been a good teammate. He's been a dog too on all those levels. And now he's up for all-star. You know, shout out to him, man. And the main reason, no question, he's got to be an all-star. I mean, there's no question about it. If he's not, it's just ridiculous. Uh, The Knicks right now, 15 and 16. Unfortunately, you know, still chasing that 500 letdown game uh, against Orlando last week that they lost. And you think about what could have happened. But nonetheless, they lose that game. They've still won four of five. They are in the seventh spot right now, just a half game behind the Celtics, which is crazy for the sixth seed. But the point is, they've been competitive here. And they're giving you something you know, to watch night in, night out, as we talked about. And this is a big stretch now here leading into the second half. And we don't even have the second half schedule yet, which is crazy. But they have a bunch of games here coming up. Warriors tonight, as you know, with fans in attendance. Same thing on Thursday, taking on the Sacramento Kings. And then again on Saturday. That was a game I'd love to go to. Producer Jake and I actually talked about trying to go to that. But I just got, I mean, my wife's pregnant. She's doing April. It's just, it's too tight. And then the COVID test, the PCR test, whatever. At some point, I want to get back to the Garden, though, soon. But the Knicks will have fans there Saturday. Saturday as well against the Pacers. Then they hit the road, Detroit on Sunday. It's a lot of games in a short span. And then again next Tuesday in San Antonio. Remember, they got that, not makeup game, but the game that was added to the first half schedule uh, versus the Pistons on Thursday on March 4th. That leads them into the All-Star break. So, look, I mean, it's a great time right now to be a Knicks fan. They're in the thick of things in the playoff race. They could get to 500, which is nice. Fans are back. And JYD, it takes us back to 10 years ago on this day in Knicks history. At forward, at 6'8 from Syracuse, number seven, 
one of the greatest announcers carmelo <laughs> like i love that i, love I did that. like that i mean i've had my you know my favorites from the 90s but that no question is a great one 10 years ago february 23rd i can't even believe it's 10 years jyd i know 10 years he's still in the league he's still hot I, that's, a, that's insane he got himself in, in shape doing well there with portland february 23rd 2011 i remember the night well carmelo anthony made his debut with the knicks after getting traded from the nuggets to new york the day prior I know you're not going to like this, and I know Nick fans will probably be upset with me. I never loved Melo. I, I remember being excited about the trade, but also annoyed. What? Well, well, remember, they were building something nice with Stoudemire and Felton and Gallinari and Wilson Chandler, and they traded all those guys. Instead of just waiting for Melo to become a free agent, they traded all those guys, fine. They get Melo when you're excited. But the way that it played out, you know, it never lived up to what I thought it could be with him and Stoudemire. And I always thought Melo... While I think he's a great dude and I would love to hang with him and I respect him for being accountable and open with the media, and I know he's an all-time legend and great scorer, I still think it was disappointing uh, Nick career, JYD. I know I may be in the minority. Tell me why I'm wrong about Carmelo Anthony. Well, the one thing I'll say that you're right about is that, yes, I believe, too, they could have gotten him in free agency. I don't believe they would have had to give up all those picks and give up the pretty much the franchise in order to sign Carmelo. And then once they get him, yeah, you know, you have uh, injured Amari Stoudemire for many of his years. So we never got to see that ultra combination that everybody was so dying for that we felt as though we were going to be able to witness. And that was disappointing. But he held it down. He held it down, bro. He was out there giving it his all getting buckets, keeping the, he kept New York like at a high level on the map. He's the reason he's, he's a big reason why this, franchise is worth five billion dollars and they had 54 wins sal they had a 54 win season and it was also lebron was in the east so it was like no one was beating lebron really in the eastern conference so i think he did just fine that that team was fun with jr smith and you know rasheed wallace and the veterans on there he didn't didn't have to beat lebron they could have beat the pacers where oh tyson chandler defensive player of the year got chewed up and spit out by roy ibert of all people so that series always bothered me i don't care if they made it to the next round and lost to miami but losing to the pacers that year was unacceptable look i'm not knocking carmelo as a as a great scorer now defensively would did we need more absolutely how about the issues that he had with Stoudemire, where it seemed like they weren't in sync. How about the issues with Jeremy Lin, where there were issues there between Melo and Lin? So it just was always something. Now, I do think that he was at times unfairly critiqued and criticized by, you know, being a selfish, iso Melo, all those different things. But also, there, there is some truth to that type of maybe selfish play where he wanted to do it on his own and wasn't good enough to get it done to that next level. He I, made, I don't know. He just, made them better. Flat out, he made them better. I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, there was some selfish things, but held accountable. Always talked to the media. Did great work in the community. I remember covering one of the camps that he did, and he, you know, he would always talk to the media, always lend a helping hand in the community. So there was that side of him that got overlooked. And yeah, he got critiqued a lot because he was the guy who always got the ball, but... 
you know, he led the Knicks to a 54-win season, which was a big deal considering the ineptitude. JYD was in the middle of it in his one year there where it started to fall downhill, and that was the coming-to-life moment. Amari brought it a little bit. The team was, like, slightly over 500, but Melo took them to that next level, and I know they never reached the pinnacle, but he had so many memories, and I'll tell you, I got tickets at the last minute to his 62-point game. And I don't know if ever at the Garden I've had goosebumps like that because there hasn't really been playoff games to have goosebumps for. That's what it felt like. You know, that place was rocking that night. And when they took him out at 62, he got a long standing ovation. I remember it like it was yesterday, January 24th, 2014. One of those iconic Garden moments. I was wearing the T-shirt yesterday when we talked quickly. You know, 62 points in the back. He's pointing the finger in the air. Thank you. I loved Mello, man, and I and I miss him here. If, if I ask you guys one thing about Mello, what do you think his main goal was, night in, night out? What would what would be your his top priority? Because I I know his what my answer would be. His top priority was to get buckets, Sal. Big he got exactly. buckets. Score. His That's priority. It. He got buckets, and man. he's a great scorer. If you, if I ask you what you know, Ewing or Starks or Oakley or JYD, what their top priority is. Get the W. And get I feel dub, like, they, yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's that's the difference. That's maybe why I personally have a disconnect with Carmelo. You're right. You guys are both right that he took that team, that generation of Knicks teams to the 54-win season and was better than what we saw in years past. The disconnect that I have, and he's also you're also right about him being accountable and very accessible and great off the court and being a great leader and wanting to be in New York. But my disconnect is that he missed those, that intangible, that JYD, that Starks, Oakley, Ewing. Ewing was a great scorer, but that dude cared about winning. That is it. That's the bottom line. Defense, offense, didn't matter. He wants to win every night. I didn't get, I think Melo was about scoring buckets and he did that well, great. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody's different. Yesterday I was in the pickup game. My daughter was watching. She's like, dad, you got to put up a shot. I went one for two from three. She was elated. <laughs> she came home, told her mother, dad, he was knocking down threes. I hit one. Okay. Just one. <laughs> but that wasn't my role in the NBA. I wasn't, I was the guy that wanted to win. They had to mix, they had to have a get buckets guy. They had to get a rebounding guy, defender, a team guy. You got to just build the team right, Sal. He gets buckets. You know how hard it is to find a player to get buckets? You mentioned Jeremy Lin. Shout out to Jeremy Lin. But where is he now? Is he in China? Is he back here? I don't know. He fell off the map. He, He scored a few streaks. Got hot, got a check, and I haven't heard from him. Well, but he's, Melo, not, he's yeah. still out here getting buckets in Portland today. JYD, I, th- I think I think Sal, my, your new co-host, is actually Bob Brown, my father. Because Sal, you sound like my <laughs> my dad says the same thing that you say. Actually, like he was a ball hog, wasn't a team player. They didn't win with him. So I think my father is is taking over. Wow. I think Melo felt the disrespect because Jeremy Lin took over. Right, he took over the city. Lin sanity. And Melo's thinking, man, I'm out here every night. I'm a Hall of Fame player. I'm an elite scorer. And I don't get the love that he gets. But my issue, so I can understand Melo being upset with that. But my issue with him was that he just never, I don't know, I didn't get the max effort from him defensively that you would have hoped to see. And just the, the passion. He was a great scorer, sure. No, no question about it. But again, I'm trying, you know, I don't want to knock Carmelo Anthony. I know what he was as a player, but. For me, I just think that uh, you look back with a little bit of disappointment and you wish Melo nothing but the best. And, you know, he had a great run 
uh, when he was with the Knicks. No question about that. All right, Knicks fans, it's time for the moment you've all been waiting for. Joining us next is the Knicks rookie sensation, the guard out of Kentucky. It's Emmanuel Quickly right here on Big Apple Buckets. Shout out to Quick. <laughs> Joining us now, Knicks stud rookie point guard, the 25th pick overall, Emmanuel Quickly, Emmanuel Salicata, Jake Brown. Welcome to Big Apple Buckets, man. It's a thrill to be able to have you on and talk to you. I mean, man, you have been tremendous here lighting up the garden, and New York City is so pumped about you. I mean, what's that been like for you coming out as the 25th pick, immediately having success in New York City with the New York Knicks? Man, it's been great. Uh, first of all, I appreciate you guys having me. But like you said, it's been great to even get it done without fans. I can't wait to, you know, try to light up the garden with fans. So it's going to be a lot of fun, you know, when they get back tomorrow. Emmanuel, it's Jake here. I could say you've quickly risen to the top, but I, I had to get one dumb pun out of the way. If I do it again, you can hang up on us. Um, this week, you said it. Fans are back in the garden. I'm hoping to be one of them. Get that PCR test. Get in the building. Will we hear your grandmother and aunt shouting whoop whoop? Will they be making the most noise there? <laughs> um, soon. I, probably not tomorrow, but soon. You definitely, they definitely will be some of the loudest people in the gym. Uh, it'll be definitely a different, uh, different environment for sure. It'll be cool. So move over Spike Lee and hello grandma <laughs> quickly, right? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Emmanuel, what's it been like getting acclimated to NBA life? I mean, look, you you work all you know, your life and you work hard to become an NBA player. You get drafted in the first round. You're a New York Nick, but we're in the middle of a pandemic, so it's not exactly like you've gotten acclimated to what normal NBA lifestyle would be like. What's it been like here trying to get adjusted to the NBA life during the course of a pandemic? It's definitely been different. I mean, with all the stuff, like just something as simple as just getting tested, you know, two, three times a day. Um, it's crazy. You know, it's, it's no more, you know, just waking up whenever you want. You got to get up early in the morning to get that COVID test. Uh, you can't just go anywhere during the day. You can't be out in public. So it's a lot changed um, with normal life, you know, so. I'm sure everybody's just trying to get acclimated to it, and so am I, especially being a rookie. I spoke to Jeff Green a few weeks ago on the Nets, and he said he is sick and tired, Emmanuel, of these things getting stuck up your nose every day. I mean, I did it once, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I was crying. Clearly, I cried when watching The Notebook and Lion King, too. But, man, doesn't that thing get annoying doing it every day? Yeah, I mean, I kind of got used to it. Uh, and ours is actually not that bad as far as this. You know, I did one when I was back home and they stuck it like near my brain. But <laughs> when we're here, it's not as bad. It's kind of just, you know, outside of the nose or inside. But, you know, it's not as bad. Yeah, I'm afraid to do it. I don't want to have anything stuck up my nose or anything like that. But that's just me. Emmanuel, how are you dealing with the raised expectations? Because I know Nick fans, at least myself, I mean, we had high hopes for you, but it was more on, well, Toppin's going to be the difference maker immediately. That's where the focus was on the Knicks' top pick, Obi Toppin. Yet here we are almost halfway through the season, and you, the late first-round pick, who some projected to be a second-round pick, you have had the immediate impact here and are becoming a star and somebody that Nick fans have fallen in love with. How do you now deal with the raised expectations so young in your career? 
Um, first of all, it's pretty cool, but I feel like for myself, I have higher expectations than, than anybody could put on me. Um, every game, you know, I try to go out and play as hard as I can. That's the first thing. And then, uh, regardless of what happens, you know, I'm going back to work the next day, whether I play good, play bad. Uh, I understand that it's a process day in and day out to get better. And then over the long haul, that's how you eventually, um, pass people, catch people, um, that you dream to catch and things like that. So for me, it's just, you know, a, a daily grind and trying to get better and I, and, and then trust me. God and just the basis of my foundation. That's how it all starts. Yeah, and Sal mentioned that some people said you would be a second round pick. We got a hate on Emmanuel on CBS Sports here, who gave you a D plus grade, gave the Knicks a D plus Man, grade I for got taking. That, I got that screenshot. I have that <laughs> screenshot. Do you use that as motivation? Is that like at your locker every day? It's in. A, I have a camera roll like album of all stuff that motivates me, and that and that's uh, one of them. Definitely screenshot it, saved in my phone. Oh, so you got like the Tom Brady thing where he posted that video of all his haters who said he wouldn't. I got exposed by old takes exposed for saying he's not going to win a Super Bowl with the Bucks, and he did. So you have all the haters in a camera roll, the album. It's labeled haters, and you use that as motivation. I love that. I won't say it's, it's not all it's not all negative stuff. It's, a, it's positive stuff in there, too, like goal setting and things like that and affirmations. But some of the stuff that's in there is definitely uh, things where people said I couldn't do this or couldn't do that. I just try to use that um, to prove through the haters wrong and try to prove myself right. And what better place to do that in New York City? Did you, well, what was your first thoughts, Emmanuel, when you heard it was the Knicks? I mean, are you understanding? You're, you're way too young to even remember the good days. I mean, we I'm, I grew up watching them in the 90s and I love those 90s Knicks. You know, you're 21 years old. They've been bad for the better part of the last two decades. But did the New York Knicks, does it still mean something to you playing at the icon, uh, iconic building in Madison Square Garden for a franchise that is, I mean, such a proud, once proud, great franchise with the New York Knicks. What did that mean to you being drafted by not just any team, but New York in particular? It's like surreal almost. It's kind of like Kentucky when I got drafted, or not drafted, but when I picked Kentucky and you first put that uniform on, uh, you know there's a high expectation uh, as far as play there. Um, the championships that have been won, it's, it's kind of not, maybe not the same level, but uh, in the same aspect that when you put that Knicks uniform on, you're playing for the players that come before you, the the great coaches, just the the fans, and there's just a lot of history. So you're playing for something bigger than yourself. Do you get into the history at all? Like, you know, Walt Clyde Frazier does the games. I mean, I know that there's a bunch of ex-Knicks that work, and maybe it's different with the pandemic. Maybe they're not at the Garden necessarily with Starks or Larry Johnson. But do you make a point, Emmanuel, you or some of your teammates, to try to get a better understanding of some of the history that the franchise has? Yeah, and I think one of the things that I've understood or come to understand the most is probably just uh, the players that play against teams in the Garden. Uh, you're going to get their best shot every game. Even Steph, we play him tomorrow, but I was just talking with one of my friends about how he had 54 that one night he was in the Garden. He just went crazy. Or when Kobe came, rest in peace Kobe, when he came to the Garden. Uh, just the great players that come in there and just want to put on performance because the Garden is almost like, I don't know, it's like a movie, you know, when you're playing at the Garden. So um, it's just a, a great atmosphere to play in, a great place to be. IQ. Can we call you IQ? Do people call you IQ? Is that normal? I get called quick. Quick. All right, so I'll call you quick. Uh, quick, you checked in with Derrick Rose when he came here. Now, I read a story that you've only been to a couple of games, and one was you went as a kid to see Derrick Rose because you were in the D.C. area. You saw him play the Wizards. 
Now you're playing alongside him, and they showed you on the camera. You look like me when someone puts a big piece of chicken parm in front of me. You look like a a kid in the candy store checking in with Derrick Rose, a guy that you watched when you were just a little kid. Can you take us through that moment and just how special it is, you know, on a a nightly basis to come off the bench with him? Yeah, it's crazy Uh, you say that because that Chicago Bulls versus Wizards game, that's one of the only NBA games I've ever been to outside of actually being an NBA player. Um, So that was my first experience. He was on that team with Ben Gordon. Uh, So that that was a while ago. Uh, But it it was pretty cool. And just now to play with him, it's, it's, it's really cool as well because we both play for the same college coach and Coach Calipari, and now we play for Coach Kids, and we talk about how they're similar all the time, and, and he gives me a lot of stuff, you know, on and off the floor. So it's great to have somebody that has been through the wars, won MVPs, uh, just just all types of things like that. You know, you can't experience it. It's something that you you know you can only go through. He's been through all that. And Emmanuel, one thing I've noticed since the acquisition of Rose is you're playing a little more off the ball. And when I read the scouting reports about you and watching college, maybe I thought you were more of a traditional two guard. When you first got started here with the Knicks, you were you know, the point guard. And everybody's saying, you know, he's going to be the point guard of the future. Now with Rose a little bit more off the ball, I'm assuming you don't care either way, but do you have a preference? Do you feel more comfortable with Rose in the backcourt? Would you rather be on the ball more so? How do you feel about that transition? Um, yeah, that was one of the things that I stressed to, uh, you know, a lot of NBA teams. I don't I don't know if they believe me based on what they've seen in college, but uh, I told teams that I was somebody who could play on or off the ball. So that was one of the things that I had told every NBA team, and I think the Knicks really knew who I was because of all the connections that were with Kentucky and things like that. But, you know, for to answer that question, I really, you know, I feel like I'm comfortable either or, and I try to, you know, work out in a way that uh, I can be uh, versatile, whether that's on or off the ball, Guarding owner off the ball. I just try to be as versatile as I can so that I can play with basically anybody. Yeah, and, and your three point shot has certainly improved since early in the season. You've been making them from way downtown, from Brooklyn. It seems like quick, and you know, <laughs> your your we always talk about your float game. You got that float game <laughs> on lock, man. And you know, I I read that you got it from Lou Williams, which surprised me but also ages both me and Sal that you were getting your floater from Lou Williams, who's a great player off the bench. But can you take us through, like, did you just watch Lou as a kid and you you watched how he drew fouls and you watched how he put up his floaters? That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say just Lou. You know, he's definitely, he's definitely a big, uh, a huge player where I, I, I try to take stuff out of his game and put it in the mind. But there's a lot of players, man. I mean, even uh, players like C.J. McCollum, um, Steph Curry. Those are guys that, you know, master that floater. And I try to, you know, use it in my game. I actually haven't been hitting it lately like I usually do. You know, so hopefully I can get back on track. Listen, you got to have an off night, bro. I mean, you were on fire oh, yeah, for so without long. A, without a doubt. You know, hopefully I can get back on track. But um, like you said, you know, just trying to take stuff out of great players' games and try to put it into my own or be able to use it in my own game is something that I, I look look forward to doing all the time. I'm glad you mentioned it quick because I didn't want to. At first, that float game was automatic. I mean, U-wing turnaround jumper automatic. That's how great it was. And lately, <laughs> I was going to say, it's been off a little bit here, but we'll sure you get that back going. You know, somebody that you've been playing with that's been dominant all year, Julius Randle, I know there's been talk about trying to get him in the All-Star game. What's it like, Emmanuel, playing for a guy who, I mean, look, I mean, Julius Randle's been a stud this year. I don't, You don't need to hear it from me, but he's developed into a terrific player, an all-star player. How's he been for a leader for you for this Knicks team? Oh, he's been great. Um, everybody sees the numbers he's putting up and things like that. Uh, but him as a leader is, is probably something that a lot of people don't get to see as far as, you know, 
Um, it's another team makes a run. He's the first one to, you know, try to encourage everybody, keep the team spirit up. Uh, he's always, you know, showing, especially the young guys like me and Obi, you know, what to do on the court, off the court. Uh, and then he's just a great guy to be around. You would know uh, he's, he's an all-star type player just by being around him. You know, he's always joking and things like that. So he's a great player to have in the locker room. You've had so much success, which is why it's amazing that CBS Sports and some other places slept on you. From high school to playing to the FIBA, you know, the National 19, under-17 team, the SEC Player of the Year, All-American, and you come here, and a lot of that, quick, I would imagine, is coaching as well. I mean, two iconic coaches with Calipari, who raved about you like you were his child, and now Tom Thibodeau, who has completely changed the Knicks around. What has these coaches meant to you? What have they taught you? We'd love for you to, you know, tell us about Tibbs, because we always see this angry, feisty guy preaching defense. But I want to know about Tibbs behind the scenes as well. Man, no, there's so there's so much alike. It's actually crazy for for me. The, the thing I've learned, and they've given me uh, they've given me something that I can take with me. Whoever I play for, they're coaches that you know you got to go take what you want. Uh, if you come out in the game, and, and it doesn't matter who you are, honestly. If you come out in the game and you're not ready to play, even last year when I, I won SEC Player of the Year, but at any given night that I didn't come out to play, Cal would just be like, man, sit down. You're not ready to play today. Uh, so it, it don't matter who you are. You know, they're going to tell you the truth, and they're going to, you know, whether you're a superstar or, you know, the last man on the bench, they're going to hold you accountable, and you got to just go take what you want. So that's something that I've taken away from both of them. Some guys don't like that. I mean, you look at maybe some of the Brooklyn Nets, and I know they're ultra-talented, but Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, they didn't want a coach that's going to go out there getting them to play hard, play defense fans each and every night you guys are thriving with that it's a great and it's a credit to the group of guys there yes Thibodeau puts that system in place and he gets you guys to buy in but you guys got to buy in as individuals Randall has done it as a leader and then everybody else it seems follows you know you may not win every game it may not be the most talented group but you play hard each and every night both ends of the floor with the passion and I'll tell you that's all New York Knicks fans want that is something we've been starved for for years and we have great respect for a team that gives it their all you guys have that yeah I think uh like you said um whether you're the most talented team or not uh if you play defense rebound and and do the little things you give yourself a chance to win every night and I think that's something that we're trying to build here as, as far as we build our, as much as we're building our talent each and every day you know that the things that we can control uh playing hard the diving on the floor taking charge just being there for each other we know we can control that each and every night now you turned 21 in a pandemic which freaking sucks i just turned thir- <laughs> 30 in a pandemic but it was february you were at the height of the pandemic quick in june obviously you end up getting drafted but i mean you seem like a low-key guy though that can enjoy a 21st in a pandemic because you love to go to the mall when the pandemic is over you're going to be at lids trying on hats and in the food court getting samples right Man, I had a ball. Was with my family. Was in the house. Didn't do nothing. I had a ball, man. <laughs> I, I gotta admit, because when I was in college, I was twenty-one. 20, I I loved the mall in Long Island. It's called Roosevelt Field. You know, I would go on, and you you barely have money. You go around, you get the free samples a couple times. Maybe a splurge. You get the chicken teriyaki with the white rice. But you are a big mall guy. So you said after the pandemic, that's what you want to do. What's like your mall go-to stores? Where are you shopping? Um. Well, first of all, I just. That's the, I feel like that's some of the best Chinese food you can get is at the mall. Facts. Uh, that's probably my favorite thing uh, is getting that Chinese food. Um, but stores, um, hmm, Foot Locker is definitely one, even though I don't really need to buy shoes right now. Yeah, you, you got hooked up for that for life. Yeah, you don't need that. <laughs> I don't need, really need to buy shoes. Foot Locker, GameStop, uh, 
going. I'll probably go bowling too. That's something mm. that I forgot to say. I'll, I'll definitely go. I love bowling, so I'll, I'll go bowling once the pandemic's over. Have you gotten a chance at all, Emmanuel? I mean, look, New York City is the greatest place on earth, as far as I'm concerned. I may be unbiased, but I know it's not the same being shut down. I know you're dealing with the pandemic. Have you got at least a little taste of it? Are you at least going out to some restaurants? I'm not sure what all the restrictions, but man, I mean, you talk about Chinese food. Any food you want, New York City has it. It is top notch. Multiple restaurants. Have you gotten at least a little taste of what the city can offer? Yeah, a little bit before the city like completely shut down. During my free draft, we went to uh, Ju Lang, a tiny spot in the city, and all the like famous uh, rappers and NBA players, like Kevin Durant, you know, you name it, they've been there. So uh, we got to go to Ju Lang, it, and it was just a nice outside vibe. So it was it was cool, and the food was great. So. And yeah, I mean, you were in White Plains, so you're not living the true, true city life. But you mentioned the rappers and stuff. We got to close it on this. You're also repped by the the Rock Nation crew, bro. Throw your diamonds up for Hove in the building. That's got to be cool. Rock Nation in the building. Yeah, it's definitely cool, and they've been looking out for me. Couldn't ask for a better group of guys, you know, that have been representing me, so it's, it's been a great partnership. With them. Emmanuel, uh, we love watching you. It's been great so far. Best of luck the rest of the way. Keep it going. We'll be following you. Keep playing with that passion. I can't wait to see you feeding off the energy of the fans being back at the world's most famous arena. I think it's going to make everybody on that Knicks team better. Good luck. Stay healthy. The rest of the way, we appreciate a few minutes. I can't wait for Grandma and Auntie with the whoop whoop at the, at the garden. I'll be listening for it, man. Appreciate it. God bless you. All right, time to go inside the doghouse. And this week, it's going to be another special one here. Episode 34, the Charles Oakley episode of Big Apple Buckets. JYD, this is a guy that you played with and against. Give us your best Charles Oakley story. Can't wait for this one. Come on now, the dog pound's always hot and the house is always hotter. So my Oakley, Charles, my man, teammate, opponent, uh, mad love, mad respect for him. And my first story goes like this, because I got two for you. Hmm. All right, got two for you, Sal. The first one, I get traded to Toronto from Detroit. I get to Toronto. Within the first week, I get a call from Oak. And Oak is like, JY, once you come over for dinner, we're having a, uh, you know, like a team dinner, having a few guys over, once you over to the house. And I say, okay, well, we haven't. He's like, oh, I'm cooking up something special. I was like, you cook? He's like, yeah, man, throw down. I was like, oh, see, now, wait a minute. I said, this is, you know, you're, you're talking to a food connoisseur. I eat for a living. So he's like, okay, okay, you'll see, you'll see. So I get over to his house, you know, the guys, all the teammates are there, whatever. And they all like you could tell that they've they've had these dinners before because they're like prompt, ready. They're like, you know, like, man, it's going to be good. And I'm like, man, who can cook like that? I mean, he has everything set up. It's it's like a catered meal, like tablecloths, napkin, you know, like it's it's looking proper. And I'm like, I'm looking around for the people, meaning the people cooking the food, the people serving the food. And it's all oak, man. He's going back and forth to the kitchen. He's got his pots out. So there's nobody else there. And I mean, man, we're eating, I mean, collard greens, mac and cheese. Like, it, I mean, it was all like homemade steak, shrimp, lots. I mean, it was, it was decked out. And I'm telling you, man, I was thoroughly impressed with not only the the meal, but the way it was all set up. So that was my first, I had to 
you know, recalibrate because I was like, man, Oak is supposed to be mean and rough. <laughs> right. You know, he can't be in here catering and hooking us up like this. This isn't this stuff. This goes against his his M.O. on the court. But uh, that's Oak. And uh, last summer he sent me his Charles Oakley grill. So I got a grill like, you know, like the George Foreman grill. Yeah. Well, he got like 10 times better. He got the Charles Oakley grill. So if you don't have one, make sure you pick one up now. I, I got to check that out. Yeah, yeah. So story number two, I'm coming to the gym. We're getting ready. It's night play Philadelphia 76ers and it's shoot around. So, you know, shoot around, get there early for some treatment. And I want the first guys there. So by the time guys start coming in, I'm, I'm sort of already at my locker and I'm putting my gear on and whatnot. So typically, you know, in these situations, the visiting team has shoot around before we do. So the visiting team is already out there on the court doing their thing, going over their game plan. We're following them up. So typically, you know, maybe five minutes or at the five minute mark, people start going out there to either get ready to go out there or just, you know, they're getting on their stuff. So everybody's kind of in the locker room kind of getting on their stuff. Oak comes in and he's got this business look on his face. And I'm like, well, that's, I mean, he might've had a rough night's sleep. I don't know, but you know, it, it definitely caught my attention. So Oak, you know, puts his gear on or what have you. And he like, uh, I mean, beelines to like, he's going to just go outside, but we're like thinking he's going to just wait at the, at the end of the gym where you got to wait. Before you go on to the to the court no oak goes out there because a certain player on the opposite team owes him 10 grand from a card game yes he bet him lost didn't pay and so he went and said where's my money and smacked him dead in the face <laughs> nba security saw this happen He's immediately suspended for the game against the Philadelphia that night. And that happened to be my first start. <laughs> oh, so my. shout out to Oak on the dog pound. But Tyrone Hill, he got slapped in the mouth. <laughs> slapped in the mouth, oh. man. Dog pound saw it. It happened. I was there. The team saw it. We were upset that Oak wasn't playing that night, but that guard at Dog Pound got the start. So that is incredible. Did he ever pay up? Did he give him the 10 grand eventually? Oh, that money came. Oh, oh absolutely. Because <laughs> he said, I'm going to smack you in your face every time I see you till I get it. <laughs> On site. In honor of that for you, JYD, I have inside the fat house is my version of, uh, of two stories for you. I have a buy one, get one free for you. I did the interview with Samaki Walker where Kobe Bryant sucker punched him on the team bus over a $100 bet, not even a 10000 over a 100 because I think Kobe made a half-court shot. They bet 100 Kobe was fuming so much that they had Shaq's bodyguard essentially stop him from attacking Samaki uh, in practice that day or whatever it was. And, you know, that story happened late 90s, early 2000, might have been their championship year. Um, during the three peat, yeah, it was a big story, thing, but that you know, was before Kobe. the internet. Yeah, yeah, that's what they they tell guys all the time. If you're not gonna, you know, be willing to pay up, don't bet. And and these bets go down all. I mean, during games, before practice, after practice, during practice, bet that what that you know you got to either keep your mouth closed say no with me you say bet that is it all that. cards what are we talking about cards or is there no, anything be shots it this one was cards. half court shot but yeah cards is ten thousand. Whew, that's like a blackjack yeah. table high all roller kinds man. of things absolutely i mean i got some other doghouse stories we'll go with you know we'll We'll do the same for another day. But yeah, that was a smack to the face for 10 grand. Here's my second story for you. This was weird yesterday. So 
I matched with a girl on the dating app Bumble. I'm sure you've heard of, or maybe you haven't. Um, man, I'm married, man, 21 years. <laughs> Shout out to Nicolette. No, I ain't heard no dating site, man. You've heard of Bumble, though. You right, I ain't right. heard of Bumble, man. Sal's heard, heard of Bumble. Bumble, Bumble, or nothing. Uh, I've been married for, I don't even remember, three, four. But, yes, I've heard of Bumble. And Alex Camerata has heard he, of Bumble. He's Sal, a couple you're years younger. you're too young. You, you still qualify. If you're under five years, yeah, you can hear about it. Uh, Alex, <laughs> he might know about it. Yeah, I'm an avid user of Bumble myself. Yeah, so avid. I See, I just got back. I go in sprints. I delete. So I brought it back. Match with the girl. She has a Knicks jersey on in one of her pictures. The jersey she has on is a number 31. So I quick, hey. I quickly go to her. Hey, like, what's that jersey? Like, is it Malik Rose? Is, is it like, or I said, uh, what is the jersey? And she said, I played basketball in college and a woman on my summer league team runs PAL for the city and was having a fundraising game. So I played. We got a whole uniform and played with Nate Robinson and Jerome Williams. The jersey she was wearing was the junkyard dog <laughs> out of all the Knicks jerseys she could have wore. She had 31. Incredible. Are you kidding me? Isn't that bizarre? Like that right. is no wonder why you're a man. That is crazy. I, here, here's the picture right here. It's her in uh, 31. Oh yeah, she rocking that. There and he na- is. And naturally, would you would you say back to her? Oh, JYD. He's my yeah. Boy. I was just texting him. He co-hosts our Knicks podcast. <laughs> and then she sent the picture with you, Larry Johnson, Earl Monroe. That look, that's the truth right there. See what I'm talking about? Shout out to Caitlin. Ball Town reigns in New York. Jake, Sal. Alex, you know what time it is. There's dog pound members all around. Y'all better watch your step. That Jake. is true. When you're in New York, <laughs> that is. I know my buddy was just texting me too. Hey, I love the pod. We need more JYDs on the Knicks now. They're too soft. Hey, you know what, JYD wasn't a long stay for you, but you were beloved. I mean, it, there's no Listen, question you about it. You don't have to be long in New York. It could be a 10-day. It could be a 10-day, boy. You rock out. Be like the next Jeremy Lin. JYD, you're on Bumble now. Who would have thought you made it to Bumble? Amazing. That is unbelievable. says goodbye to episode 34 the charles oakley edition of big apple buckets thanks to jake brown and alex camarada for producing the show subscribe to big apple buckets on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher or wherever you get your podcast and look do me a favor will you give us a five-star rating you're already listening to the podcast how long does it take you click on there you give us a five-star rating write us a nice review please it helps you can do that on apple for jerome williams the junkyard dog i'm sal Licata. we'll chat with you guys next tuesday Thanks for tuning in. Let's go Knicks.